So um, I went to a small Christian school before I attended Baylor. It was called Grand Canyon College. It's very large now. It's called Grand Canyon University. And in fact, I don't think it, it's privately owned. It used to be a Baptist school, um, but it was sold and it is a for-profit school now. Um, but um, like many small Christian schools, we had what was known as chapel. Did anybody ever, uh, I know that uh, small Small or large Christian high schools have these too. Did anybody ever have chapel when you were in school, right? And at Baylor, it was called Forum, right? We called chapel. Oh, did you call it chapel? When I was there, it was called Forum. We were trying to be cool in Greek. Um, <laughs> DBU has has chapel. How many times a week do they have it? Three. Three. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like so. Uh, it's compulsory. So, you know, students come and then they'll have a, you know, a variety of different speakers. They might have a, a you know, a pastor. They might have a missionary. Um, you know, they might have an author of a book, all these sorts of things. And there were some interesting speakers uh, when I was there. Well, there is a small Christian school that has been in existence for quite some time uh, in Kentucky. And it is called Asbury. It was Asbury College. It's now Asbury University. And uh, like the other schools that I mentioned, they have chapel three days a week and the students attend. And uh, February the 8th, they had a chapel. Regular, everyday chapel. Students came. Um, I uh, got a, a video of the, the sermon that they heard. It was on love. It didn't sound too much different than what Pastor Craig preached last Sunday, uh, which makes sense, right? Because, you know, we're, February 8th, we're headed into Valentine's Day. And at the end, he just challenged people to love like Jesus loves. Well, kind of like Craig challenged you, right? And then something happened. Because they have been worshiping 24 hours a day since then, and it's still going on right now. Here's a little take on it from, uh, from CBN. Kentucky. This revival is officially in overflow mode. Look at this line behind me, about a half a mile long. Folks from all over the country waiting patiently to get into Hughes Auditorium here at Asbury University to experience this historic revival for themselves. God is here. God is here. He's working right now. Well, that's exactly. I was like, twenty-nine-year-old Joa Perez drove all the way from Florida to ask God a simple question. I came here and I'm like, Lord, if you want me to go back to preaching, if you want me to plant this church that I've had in my heart and for years to plant, I need someone to prophesy over me right now. Joa's prayer was answered when he ran into a well-known local preacher. He prays over me, and he literally just declares what I've been praying for years over my life. And I thought that was insane. Regent University! Jeff Gossman with Regent University drove 10 hours from Virginia Beach after hearing about what God is doing here. Well, everybody at Regent right now, including all the executive vice presidents, they're all crying out for revival. Having extra prayer services over there right now. They they want the presence of the Lord on campus, and um, and so we're just so thankful that they sent us here, you know, to just get whatever we can to bring back. On Thursday, the persistent rains did not dampen spirits for those waiting to get inside. You know, uh, when I was saved, I got the Holy Spirit, but always looking for more and really hoping when I walk through the doors, it's poured out on me. 
student body president Allison Perfader was there when revival broke out. Because um, you just didn't want to leave. It's not that anyone was saying, oh, let's see how long we can last. Let's see how, you know, like we just didn't want to go. And I, I mean, I had, I came in, I had a lot of like anger issues. I like really struggled with my anger and I was able to talk with like God first. And it's just like that never would have happened like on my own time. It's been just a really hard couple of years. <sighs> and not just for me, but like a lot of my friends. Yeah. And I just felt like the Lord was releasing me of a lot of bitterness and anger that I'd had just about all kinds of stuff, even some of it towards God. And so I would say for me personally, the biggest word I can use has been a very, very healing experience yeah. for me. So how do you explain what's happening here at Asbury? I would just say there is a tangible presence of God's peace, joy, and a freedom to worship and adore the one true God. So probably there's a lot of churches and a lot of places that would like to duplicate that, but um, you can't do that. You can't rubber stamp these sorts of things. What we can do is put ourselves in a position so that the Lord will come down and visit us in a very special way uh, and revive us. Uh, revival is a noun, and uh, there are a lot of different ideas about what revival is um, but I don't want to study revival and talk about revival. I want to talk about uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that uh, our gospel of John promised Jesus would grant. And that's what these students and those that are going to Kentucky are experiencing is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that comes from the Lord Jesus. Um, you won't find the noun revival, but you will find the word revive, which means just to bring to life. Uh, here are several uh, psalms. You heard Felix read one, Psalm 85. Uh, psalm 85, 6 says, will you, not, will you not revive us again? Bring us to life again so that your people may rejoice in you. Psalm 80, verse 18, the second half of the verse says, revive us and we will call upon your name. And I love this. This is a promise. Um, it's a promise to me. And I hope you can get a hold of it for you. You who have shown me many troubles and distresses, pause. Have you seen troubles and distresses over the last several years? I, that kid is probably a third my age that talked about the difficulty, you know, how difficult the last three years were. But dude, that's exactly where I've been. Now, I've tried to be as positive as I can possibly be and continue to preach the word. But buddy, like many of us, I have been going through it. Listen to the promise, though. You, have shown, you who have shown me many troubles and distresses will revive me again and will bring me up again from the depths of the earth. Wow. You see, I've said this many times in this church, but there's, there's a missing element oftentimes in our experience. So I'll just ask you the question, do you sense something missing in your life? Um, what's missing in the life of this church? We have incredible music. Um, you have good Bible teaching. So what's missing in the life of our church? 
The question is, is the Holy Spirit present and active with you and among us? I'm not trying to cast dispersion and, and cause doubt and say, well, you're not saved. But the reality is, friends, the presence of the Holy Spirit um, is something that is overwhelming. It's tangible. It's powerful. Now, I'm not referring to the Holy Spirit as an it. I'm, I'm talking you know, about the presence of God's Spirit. I sense the presence of God's Spirit uh, through the, this worship team on a regular basis in here, but I just don't see that overwhelming us. I don't see that empowering us as they should, uh, as it should. There are many churches today, um, you can walk in and they're just, they're dead. They're without the Holy Spirit. In fact, um, there are whole denominations that operate apart from the anointing and presence of the Spirit. And... Um, they may be full of people, but you can walk in there and, you know, there's no Holy Spirit present. Uh, as I was reading my uh, daily scriptures, I encountered this from Jude 19 through 21. Jude only has one chapter, so that's why I say 19 through 21. This is what, uh, and Jude was, by the way, a half-brother of Jesus, and he writes this. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking forward to the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ and eternal life. Our country is divided. Denominations are divided. So the denomination that founded uh, Asbury University is deeply divided right now. Um, they are dealing with... Uh, contemporary cultural issues that many people are dealing with. Um, I'm not going to get into that division because I don't want us to jump down on sides and start arguing about that. I want us to be united by the power of the Spirit. But I want you to see that that division, that hatred, that anger, that bitterness, the things that we see stirring our country now, it's, it's like we can't do anything without uh, having this this contrary spirit, this conflict. We're addicted to conflict. We've all read too many books and seen too many movies. And, uh, you know, if somebody tells a story, it's got to have a conflict. And so we're used to that. Um, all I've been seeing regarding this revival going on at Asbury has been positive. And yet, on occasion, there have been those saying, yeah, but, and referring to others who have not been so positive. And I haven't been paying attention to those not-so-positives. It just um, reinforces for me the reality that we are addicted to conflict. No matter what happens, no matter how good it is, there's conflict. Um, I don't know, did you all, or are you all aware of this fellow on YouTube, Mr. Beast, right? Apparently, the, the dude is unbelievably rich because... He has like 100 million followers or something, right? He posts a video and, you know, they're, they're just watching. And so YouTube is just throwing money at this guy. Well, I don't know whether he's a Christian or not. He doesn't talk like it when he's unmiked necessarily, but I'm not judging him. But he took a huge amount of money, millions of dollars, and went, I can't remember where he went, but somewhere where people have a common eye affliction, right, that causes blindness, a thousand people. You would think, and everybody would be positive about that. Guess what? Not everybody was positive about that. So we can't look at all the naysayers and all the hate and all the division, but what we can look at is when the Holy Spirit comes, he brings people together in unity. Um, I would invite you 
to, you know, go to YouTube or I guess really YouTube is where you need to go and just enter Asbury Revival 2023. Now, the reason I say 2023 is because there's been revival at this very same school before. In 1970, there was a huge revival that went on among the students there, and it lasted for about two weeks. By the way, this one is in its 12th day today, okay? Um, And uh, then again in 1905 at this very same school. Well, Methodists in their history, when, you know, Methodism was very, very biblically centered often had revivals. As a matter of fact, uh, Francis Asbury, after whom this university is named, was a Methodist circuit rider. Uh, He never married because he never had time because a circuit rider really got on his horse and went from church to church to church because churches didn't have preachers, so they would have to have a preacher that would ride around between them, and they would meet maybe every other Sunday. Some of them that were in the, the, the real remote wilderness, they might meet once a month, and somebody like Francis Asbury would ride out there. Well, he was also, that is Asbury I'm referring to, was um, responsible for, or not exclusively, but he was a part of bringing forth the second great awakening in this country. An awakening is like a revival that is nationwide, right? Or worldwide as the case may be, and um, goes beyond just the, uh, the people that are Christians and saved. A revival often focuses on God's people. And then God's people come to life and then they go out and they begin to share the gospel with those who do not know Christ. And some stray into a revival and they will be saved. But an awakening, it's much bigger. Listen, if our country is going to be saved at all, and I'm talking about preserved and not destroyed, and we're destroying ourselves right now, we're gonna need to see an awakening. And... uh, I really do pray that that's what we're seeing begin at this university here. And these are, by the way, this has often happened with college students, right? Um, In Christian schools, Baylor had a big revival that took place in the late 40s, right after the, the World War II. And there were those who were traveling all over the world in the 70s and in the 80s. Uh, I went, went to Baylor in the 80s. And they said that they saw fruits of that revival all over the world. Okay, there, are, there is still fruit of the 1970 revival at Asbury University all over the world. And I don't doubt that there will be fruit from this revival all over the world. Now, the last thing that even comes close to an awakening in this country was the Jesus movement in the early 70s. And there's a movie that's coming out uh, sponsored by Greg Laurie, uh, the guy that's got a, uh, his church is in California, it's Harvest Church, but he is uh, one of the fruits of that Jesus movement. And I would encourage you to go and see it. I do believe that God is on the move. Now, this is an extended introduction uh, to this message because believe it or not, we are still in John and I haven't come out of John and I'm not gonna try to simulate or duplicate what's happening uh, on, this, uh, on this campus but I do believe that you need to be receptive to the Holy Spirit and his movement. And I want to set your expectations, right? Why do I have this huge space up here? Well, what I'm kind of hoping is with this extended worship set at the end, you will feel the freedom to just come up here and worship. Maybe you can stand and worship. Uh, Maybe you can kneel at the altar here. What we find going on uh, on this campus is that it's not a human-centered movement. It's not centered on some evangelist, uh, some pastor, some celebrity worship leader. 
most of these kids that are singing, and they're doing a great job, but <laughs> they're not even as good as our band. Um, guess what? It doesn't matter. The Holy Spirit. There's been several times I've tuned into the live stream, by the way, and I was like, ooh, that's a little off key right there. <laughs> and God doesn't care. He wants your heart on key, right? But that's why we have these beautiful voices singing for us because they kind of keep me on key. And then when I find myself going, then I could just, you know, shh, being a distraction to the congregation, Daryl. Um, yeah, so we're, our problem is we're absorbed with the natural, with the day in and day out. Um, human nature, popular, popular culture, politics. We are like Peter who had the audacity to rebuke Jesus when the Lord revealed that he would be rejected and crucified and rise from the dead. He rebuked Peter, it says, Mark 8, 33, that is Jesus rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you, not, you are not setting your mind on God's purposes, but on man's. Well, we're very familiar with human purposes, but not the Lord's. The flesh, that's the natural, is what holds our attention. It is keeping us from understanding and pursuing God's purpose. The Lord wants you and I to be genuinely spiritual people. Amen? And only the Holy Spirit makes you spiritual and gives you the ability to rise above the corruption of the flesh and this natural demon-infested culture that we're living in. Listen to what Jesus said uh, to a group. This is from John, John 6, 63. He said, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh, and NLT, the New Living Translation, which is the translation that I asked Felix to read out of, says um, human effort. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh or human effort provides no benefit. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. That's what Jesus wants to speak to us. So that's an extended introduction to a very brief teaching. The title of today's message is Jesus baptize us. As you heard me say a couple of weeks ago when I talked about John the Baptist, that word baptizo just means to immerse. I'm not talking about or looking for some sort of uh, uh, type of external response uh, that would be typical in a, a Pentecostal church. When I say baptism in the spirit, I'm not uh, I identifying myself with a particular denominational approach, all right? But I want to use this term advisedly because this is what John the Baptist said. John baptized in water, but he promised that the Son of God would baptize in the Holy Spirit. This is what it says in John 1, 32 through 34. And this is the next place that we would go in our text in John. This is why I believe that this is our message for today. And John testified saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven. And he, that is the spirit, remained on him, that is on Jesus. And I did not recognize him. That is, he, I didn't recognize Jesus as, as, as Messiah, as the son of God. But he who sent me to baptize, that's the father. He who sent me to baptize in water said to me, he upon whom you see the spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. This is the one who what? Baptizes in the Holy Spirit, immerses in the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. Well, at the end of John, um, Jesus breathed on his disciples so that they could receive the Holy Spirit. Listen to this from John 20, 22. And when he had said this, that is when Jesus had said uh, what is mentioned above in John 20, he breathed on them, that is on the disciples, and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. I think that this is like what you and I experience 
when we receive Jesus into our hearts, right? Have you ever prayed to receive or accept Christ in your heart? Who's done that, right? So what's happening here, the scripture says in John 1, 12, to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be children of God, even to those who believe in his name. You, in the first century, those people, when they received Jesus, they were receiving a physical uh, flesh and blood human that came to them and they received him, they accepted him, right? And so Jesus was in their midst, walking around and talking. But in John, as we will find out, he said, I'm gonna leave, but I'm gonna send my comforter. So when we receive Jesus, uh, a flesh and blood human doesn't walk up and say, hey, Craig, how's it going? Rachel, you doing good? Hey, man, let's sit down and have a chat. That's, that's not how Jesus comes to us. Jesus comes to us in the presence of the Holy Spirit. So when you receive Jesus into your heart, you are in fact receiving the Holy Spirit, right? He renews you and he gives you a new Christ-like nature. And there's a lot of scripture there uh, to back that up. But here's a good one that I memorized a long time ago. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. He gives you a new nature and a new outlook. So everything is new. But here's the thing. You and I need more if we're gonna minister if we're gonna share the gospel, you need to be immersed and filled with the spirit. In Galatians chapter five, it says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. In Acts chapter two, when the Holy Spirit first descends on these disciples, Jesus has already breathed on them, right? Presumably, they, they have already, they, they've walked with Jesus and the Holy Spirit has been a part of that experience, but he didn't remain on them or remain in them until Jesus ascended to heaven and poured out the Spirit. In fact, Jesus is very clear about that, that, that the Spirit was with them, but when he ascended and was glorified again, that the Spirit would be in them, right? So, you and I need to be immersed and filled with the Spirit if we're going to effectively preach the gospel, share the gospel, be involved in a demon-infested world. We need to be clothed with the power from on high. That's what Jesus said in Luke. He said, I want you to remain in the city, remain in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. So it's kind of like this. Um, in some denominations, uh, they will sprinkle uh, as baptism. In some denominations, uh, Methodists, so let's go back to Methodists, they will pour. You put your head over a basin and they will pour, right? But when we talk about baptism, we're talking about immersion, right? Total immersion. That's what I want for you. But is that what you want? Okay, that's the question. Well, that's, you know, that immersion is what happened to the first 120 disciples on the day of Pentecost. Jesus told them this, this is Luke 24, 49. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So let's look at what happened with the first disciples. And I want you to see this as a pattern and I want you to lay your, your life down alongside it, all right? First of all, those first disciples repented of their sin and were baptized by John in water, right? Christian baptism comes after repentance and faith in Jesus, but it is still symbolic of turning your back on your old life 
and having a new life and a new nature in Christ. They repented of their sin and they were baptized in water. Then they became Jesus' disciples. They actually started paying attention to Jesus. They followed him around. He was what we would call a peripatetic teacher, right? This is actually very common. Uh, we'll talk about this on Wednesday uh, when I talk about the disciples. But, you know, you, you had uh, Pythagoras, right? The Pythagorean theorem. He had disciples. Pythagoras was 400 years before Jesus, but he had disciples and he led them around. And they would have lessons, but their lessons wouldn't be in a classroom. They'd be outdoors. And these peripatetic preachers and teachers would walk and the followers would literally walk behind them as they spoke and they taught, right? So Jesus had disciples who followed him and paid attention to him. But the next level of following is following the example of your master, right? You don't just follow him and listen. You start following his example. At some point, you decide, maybe early, maybe late in that period of following, that you are going to be committed to this teacher. Now, we see in John, once again, it's, it's uh, appropriate that uh, this, this verse is, uh, has this particular designation. But uh, in John 666, not kidding, John 666, it says, and many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him because he was saying things that were difficult for them to hear. And they were like, hey, I'm done with this. Judas, of course, followed him all the way until things just didn't turn out the way Judas wanted. So I believe Judas was trying to pressure Jesus into rising up and being the revolutionary that Judas believed him to be and wanted him to be. I don't think that Judas wanted Jesus crucified. I think he thought that this would force Jesus to do something else. And I think that that's demonstrated by the fact that, that Judas threw the money back. Sadly, I believe Judas could have repented, but he didn't. He was just filled with remorse and went and hanged himself, right? So they became Jesus' disciples. They believed in him and his resurrection, right? That's what the scripture says, that we have to believe. We have to call on Jesus and we have to believe that he rose from the dead. And then they waited for the outpouring of the spirit as Jesus commanded. So that's where they were. They repented, they believed in Jesus, they followed Jesus, okay? They believed in his resurrection and then they listened to his command and they waited for the spirit. And here's what it says in Acts 2, one through four. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place and suddenly a noise like a violent rushing wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And tongues that looked like fire appeared to them, distributing themselves and a tongue rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Notice, this is the baptism of the Spirit that was referred to, but it doesn't say that. It says they were filled with the Spirit. The same term that is used when in Ephesians, it says, don't be drunk with wine, be filled with the Spirit. It's not a one-shot deal, right? It is continually be filled with the Spirit. Now, it starts somewhere, but if we're gonna be effective for the kingdom, we can't just have a little tiny bit of the spirit down inside of us that we're sort of ignoring most of the time. We have to be filled to overflow. And they were, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with different tongues as the spirit was giving them the ability to speak out. Now, I'm not gonna get into the controversy of tongues here. Suffice it to say, it is a supernatural gift of God that allows someone to hear what is being said by the speaker in their own vernacular, okay? And then uh, 
Peter, just a short time later, he, Peter preaches the first gospel sermon, and he says this, Therefore, since he has been exalted, that is, since Jesus has been exalted at the right hand of God and has received the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father, he has poured out this which you both see and hear. So here's this idea of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Jesus pours it out, right? We open up and are filled to overflow with it. It clothes us on the outside. It fills us on the inside. Once again, I'm not trying to say the Holy Spirit isn't it. I'm saying this presence that we're, that we're talking about here. So um, this isn't uh, just a history lesson, okay? You and I can receive the filling of the Holy Spirit too. We need to be clothed with power from on high if we're going to do any kind of ministry for the Lord. I do not say that your experience is gonna be identical to these first century believers. Again, I'm not trying to duplicate what is going on in Kentucky right now, but I will say that you will be overpowered by the Spirit because the idea behind this is that we turn away from ourselves and our desires and our, our, our depression, um, our doubt, and we allow the Lord Jesus to take control of our lives through his spirit, right? Um, I believe we can and should be anointed, immersed, filled, and clothed. All different words that are saying the same thing with the Holy Spirit. This is not something that we can work up. Now, I see this happen in churches all the time. Churches that are, that are accustomed to, you know, the gifts of the Spirit or who are accustomed to the baptism of the Spirit, sometimes they will just really, really work it up. It's a, it's a fake it till you make it mindset. You know, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, and, you know, and do this sort of thing. And so there's a lot of emotion in those churches, Right? And some people, that emotion may be a genuine response to the Spirit. And for other people, it just may be, you know, they're emulating what other people are doing in the room and they're trying to, you know, push and, and work it out. But what do you do if you want to be filled with the Spirit? John the Baptist prepared the way for the Lord by preaching repentance. And that's where we have to begin. Repent of sin. And to repent of sin, you have to confess sin. You've got to agree that it is sin. You've got to call sin, sin, right? I don't tell you what it is. The word of God tells you what it is. We confess to God for forgiveness because Jesus is the only one that can forgive. And then we confess to other trustworthy believers for healing. That's what it says in James 5.16. It says, confess your sins to one another and you will be healed. Well, this may require more of you than a little short prayer. When I say confess sin, I'm not saying, dear Jesus, Forgive me of all my sins, amen. Filling, filling, looking for the filling, all right? It has been said that agony comes before ecstasy in revival. Listen to what Joel said in Joel 2, 12 through 13. There was a, a plague of locusts that uh, the Lord was sending in judgment upon Israel at this time. And it was gonna decimate their crops and it was gonna decimate, that, that would be the equivalent of their finances, okay? Um, and so they were told to repent. They were told to cry out to the Lord. In fact, right after the passage I'm gonna read right now, uh, Joel called all of Israel to have a meeting together where they did nothing but call out to the Lord and fast. This is what, this is, this is what he said. Yet even now declares Yahweh, Return to me with all your heart and with fasting, 
weeping and mourning and tear your heart and not merely your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in mercy and relenting of catastrophe. We need to repent. Um, Then the next thing, we've got to put our faith firmly in Jesus Christ as God's son and our savior, your savior. We got to believe that he rose from the dead and call on him as Lord of your life. See, this is what I think is happening. People have turned away from Jesus because they've just decided that they don't believe all that anymore. They're just doubting these sorts of things, right? You've got to come back to Jesus if you want this. You've got to reaffirm your faith in Jesus. You don't turn away from your faith in Jesus. You don't fall away from your faith in Jesus. You rise up and hang on to that faith in Jesus. Um, There's a promise in Luke eleven thirteen, 13, uh, it says, how much more will your father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We turn to the Lord and we ask him to pour out the Holy Spirit and fill us. So if your faith is drifted, it's time to restore, not reject it. And then you ask Jesus to pour out the Holy Spirit to fill you. You ask him, that's what it says, to as many as, as asked him, right? Um, he will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. And finally, be receptive, be open. Um, the scripture says in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, do not quench the spirit. What does that mean? It means put out a fire. So here's the spiritual fire that's going on in Kentucky right now. And it's actually spreading to other campuses, by the way. Um, there's a school named called Lee University that's experiencing some revival. Uh, there's another school in Ohio that's experiencing some revival. But see, you have the naysayers. You have the poo-pooers. You have the people that are like, yeah, well, I just, uh, I don't believe all that. That's just emotionalism. That's just, you know, young kids, they just get enthusiastic. It's just like camp. They go, they get all excited and they leave and then uh, nothing happens, it all fizzles. And that causes us to doubt. You quench the spirit when you doubt or reject the movement of the spirit. Here's my question, are you afraid? Are you afraid of letting go? See, a lot of us are afraid of what that makes us look like. Well, I don't wanna be a religious person. You know, I don't want to be like one of those kids who's like, yeah, moaning and groaning. I don't want to do all that. I'm just going to do things my way. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do, you know, Christianity my way, right? Well, listen, the Lord is going to work in you and through your personality. Not everybody is a, a naturally touchy-feely, emotional type of person. Some people aren't. I remember our brother Vernon. You all remember Vernon, right? I mean, things could be lit in here. And Vernon would just be chilling. He'd just be kind of sitting there. And he came out of a Pentecostal environment. He came out of an assemblies church, right? And, uh, but he just wasn't gonna be one of those people that was gonna you know, jump up and down and roll on the floor and whatever. But on the other hand, if the Lord wants to move in you, are you gonna stop him? You see, God doesn't remove your will. He leaves your will in place so you can quench the spirit. And that's something that I pray that you don't. Don't despise those who are more passionate and demonstrative in worship. And don't despise those who are more fervent in their faith than you are. And then don't grieve the spirit. Uh, That's what it says in Ephesians 4.31. We do this when we just continue in sin. Now, usually what is going on is we just don't wanna call it sin. We're just gonna go on and say, well, you know, everybody else is doing it and this is the way I think and this is what all my friends think and so I'm just gonna do this. But we grieve the Spirit when we do that. If you quench the Spirit, you can't be filled with the Spirit. If you grieve the Spirit, you can't be filled with the Spirit. Eventually, it is possible to insult the Holy Spirit. 
and turn away. These are people that become apostate. And then he will remove himself altogether from these people. Listen to what it says in Hebrews 10, 31. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Um, earlier in that same passage of Hebrews, it says, if we go on and sin willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Don't press on in sin. It grieves the spirit. And eventually, you know, your heart becomes so hard, you turn away from the Holy Spirit, okay? Um, David committed a pretty horrible sin um, he had a, committed adultery with another man's wife and then had the man killed. But when he was confronted by this with, uh, by the prophet Nathan, he cried out in prayer, and you can find his prayer in Psalm 53. And he said this, do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. So the next thing that we do, we ask for the Lord to fill us with the Spirit. And we set our hope and expectation that he will respond. And then we worship and we wait upon the Lord. Something that the Lord just keeps telling me and telling me and telling me, and it's hard, is wait. Wait. Now, this isn't a sit around and wait. This is an expectant, hopeful waiting. Um, and specifically from Psalm, the last verse in Psalm 27, 27, 14, says, wait for the Lord. Be strong, and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. And then you're familiar with this from Isaiah 40, 31. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. So don't give up, friends. Keep asking, seeking, and knocking on heaven's door. Um, we're gonna have this time of worship, but I, you know, I don't know what's gonna happen for you today but I'm encouraging you to persevere, to stand up and press in and allow the Lord to have his way with you. Lent begins Wednesday. That's why I jokingly refer today as Fat Sunday. Um, I hope you brought some food, by the way, because um, we're gonna enjoy that right after this is done. Because Fat Tuesday is the Tuesday before Lent when you, you know, decide to give up certain things um, as a part of that process of repentance. Well, Lent begins Wednesday and it is a time of fasting, and repentance, and it is an opportunity for revival to come in your own life. I'm not gonna give up, friends. Our church needs revival. Would you agree? Let it begin in me. If you would like to give us feedback, uh, you can go to our website, lifewellchurch.com, and you will find uh, on the main page, there's a feedback tab, and you can click that. You can fill out that form. Uh, you can give us feedback. You can ask for prayer requests all sorts of things like that. I hope that you are able to do this. We have a text service uh, that I use to send out information on our church throughout the week. And uh, basically all you need to do is text the word LifeWell from your phone to 94000. And if you do that, it'll drop you into that news text list and you'll get a couple of those texts uh, from us every week.